0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Sean Bradbury and David Lynch with me. There's not loads happening, let's be honest, in the world of Liverpool FC at the moment, but plenty that could be about to happen and plenty for those in charge to get to the bottom of over the next few weeks and months. So for today's show, I thought we'd have a little dive into a few of those bits that need resolving. There's certainly enough of those for us to talk about, Sean. 2023 could be a really interesting year in the year, uh, in the the history, I should say, of, of Liverpool Football Club. It could be new owners, new sporting directors, so many things going on. We've got a new club doctor confirmed over the weekend. That's one thing sorted, but plenty more to
0: come.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, just in terms of the overall situation of it, that you don't often hear from from FSGD or you? from you know Werder or John Henry or anyone. But the, the the one thing for me that that resounds over the last few weeks of, of the snippets we have that's come from the from Boston, if you like, was this this idea from from Tom Werner that it's going to be business as usual, and that that's the one thing that I just really hope will be true, but just cannot see being true, to be honest, over the next few um, weeks and months until there is certainty and until some kind of sale or monetary investment or, you know, progress in some way is, is resolved. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just this issue and the uncertainty of what's happening behind the scenes, as you say, and departures. And yeah, it's, for me, it's almost as if, you know, this idea of business as usual, you know, they've, they have, they have effectively placed a, a for sale sign outside, you know, Anfield, if you like, figuratively, and there's no way, therefore, that it can still be business as usual. And I think it, nowhere is that more obviously made clear than than Mike Gordon's movements within within the Fairway organisation. You know, not being pulled away from the day-to-day of Liverpool and seemingly being the estate agent to to get the club flogged. You know, I think that that's massive. And personally, I'd say that that in terms of behind-the-scenes structure of Liverpool, that that's what they need to do most and sort out first as, as their biggest priority is just how. How it works on a day-to-day basis with who jurgen klopp speaks to who fsg speak to and you know we know billy hogan's kind of moving up rather a bit more and taking on a bit more of a role but i think that's where there was a winning team behind the scenes and, and that's the that's the disintegration a little bit if you like that that, that slightly concerns me but overall the, the one thing where i would i would be quite positive around whether fsg will find solutions for all of this just to, to go back to the house analogy you know if, if you if, normally if you're selling a house you know you might give it a lick of paint might yeah smart it up a little bit and you know not not shell out too much before you try and sell it yourself but i just think with with a football club you you kind of can't really get away with doing that can kind you? Of. everyone can see what is happening you know all these departures from liverpool are, are absolutely no secret the fact that united's on the market as well at the same time you know we've written and spoken a fair bit about this at the echo but i i just think that's that's huge and means FSG have to get their house in order as best as they possibly can to make sure that their asset is as, value, as valuable as it can be to to any prospective buyer. You know, you know, with, with a with a huge northwest rival. You know, the two biggest clubs in English football, for for my money, both on sale at the same time. You have to make sure that yours is is the better buy. You know, so to go back to this business of of usual idea. You know, I think it's it's hard to say that that will be the case, but as much as possible to protect their investment and to get as much money as, as FSG, you know, can get from the eventual sale of Liverpool. I think they're gonna have to they're gonna have to do that and, you know, ensure Liverpool continues to climb the table. You know, don't slide out of the Champions League places by the end of the season. You know, that would be pretty bad. And you would think would wipe quite a lot off what people would be prepared to pay for the club. So that's that's where I'm pinning my hopes, the fact that everyone can see what's happening. Um at liverpool and that people are leaving and that it's a time of huge change and uncertainty but i think if fsg can kind of anchor things a little bit more they'll it'll be worth their while as well as you know a good thing for the future of the club yeah there's so many sort
1: of smaller elements still big elements in their own right but the the big sort of overwhelming thing then she is the fsg sale and and how that happens and who it is that takes over and all of that sort of stuff It, it kind of feels a bit like what we said on friday that all of the other stuff that we're going to come on to, it, it kind of is predicated a little bit on who takes over. It It wouldn't really make too much sense to make a load of big decisions and then change hands. It kind of feels like the order is you get the new owner sorted and then that happens ideally. But whether that's possible, I suppose, is, is another question.
0: Well, that's it. I think that's why you sort of take reports that, you know, FSG are considering what the sporting structure looks like going forward. You take those reports with a pinch of salt because there's no there's no incentive for them to do that. You know, they, at the end of the day, they're, they're thinking about getting rid of the club and someone else taking it off their hands. And, and it, it makes more sense really to leave it as a blank canvas, doesn't it, to allow someone else to imprint themselves on it. So, you know, all those big decisions, as you say, are, are really sort of fall by the wayside at the moment because... It is, it's all about getting that sale done. And, and the fact is, as well, that we know Mike Gordon's been heavily involved in the sporting decisions. And the fact that he's taken a step back from that to to sort of oversee the sale, then you can, you know, that no big changes are being made. I know Liverpool have appointed a club doctor finally uh, this week, which is, which is positive news, something that sh- you know, should be pleased about because that's been, you know, going on for a while. And, and it is nice to see that some things can get done in this sort of p- period of uncertainty. But I think you know. In terms of, I don't think we'll be seeing a new sporting director coming in, or someone who will you know do a similar similar role, or take on those responsibilities, or split across different roles. I, I don't think we'll see anything like that because I think that that is a job that really is is going to fall to new owners. Which you know that that could be a while actually. Liverpool are waiting for. We, you know that that process won't be as quick as it was at Chelsea, for example. I know there's huge interest around Liverpool already, and some conversations have taken place, but it's still there's a lot to get through in terms of due diligence due diligence to uh, to complete a deal like that. So I think those big decisions will get left and you just that's why you hope really more than anything that there's a quick resolution to this ownership situation because you know the longer you run a football club without important people in important positions, you know the the worse the team will get. It's it's an inevitable consequence of that. I know Jurgen Klopp has taken on more responsibility at the moment, but you know you don't want that in the long term. I'm not even sure Klopp will probably want that in the long term to be honest. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, in terms of, of the time? And I mean, you'd have to think at this point there's going to be at least one transfer window of uncertainty, Sean, sure, over the, the FSG thing. You'd think that it's not going to be resolved sort of before the start of January. I think we can pretty much safely say that. But then we don't know quite how long it is going to take. If it does take months, it could even stretch on into the summer, which would be two lots of, of uncertainty. What you said before then becomes even more important in terms of, of business as usual. It would absolutely have to be if it went on for that long.
2: Yeah, that's it. And I agree with what Lynch is saying in, in terms of Klopp. That's that's another thing where, and all of this, everything you guys have just mentioned there, I think it's really important not to overburden him because at, at a time of change and you know uncertainty, you want your you want as much cohesion as you can pull together behind the scenes without, as, as as Lindsay rightly says, you know, the big decisions that ultimately will be left for whoever the new owners are. You know, that there's no point doing things there now that someone might come in and want to rip apart in a few months' time. But, you know, going back to the summer when Klopp was, you know, making noises about more risk potentially being taken in the transfer market and some of the things that happened over the summer, even the signing of Darwin Nunes, I mean... Not acting on any information here, but it, it, he just feels like the type of player that could well have divided opinion, you know, because he's such a a different option for Liverpool. And I, I wonder whether there's been, you know, some little rumblings around that behind the scenes, you know, is is the is the approach Liverpool have been on that's been successful to this point? Does it need a little bit of refreshing? And then, you know, the, the outcome now as then says, is is Klopp seemingly looking from the outside at least a little bit more empowered? But the, the thing that I think they ha- everyone has to be careful of now is just. Not making sure he's got, he can't have too much on his plate. He has to be as supported as well as possible, and you know, have people around him that that can that can take a little bit of the burden off him, you know. And and it, new ideas, new blood is not necessarily going to be a bad thing, but yeah, protecting the boss, I think, is if they can do that as well as possible without you know making big decisions that can wait. I think that that should be a huge priority.
0: I I think just to come in on that, I think on the last part I said about, you know, I was sort of worried about the idea of Jurgen Klopp having a bit more power. And I think I've I've, I've taken a bit more of a a less pessimistic stance of it the more I sort of think about it in terms of, you know, would he actually want that? Is is this an internal fight for who, you know, the the manager suddenly wants more power in the similar way that maybe Brendan Rodgers did and he won that battle and in the end sort of slightly undid him in terms of, you know, Liverpool's transfer business under him and some of the big decisions he made on that front really undermined him in the end and, and ended up with him being sacked. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd like to think that Jürgen Klopp is, you know, is more sensible than to go down that route, th- than to, to take on what would be too much in, in a modern era. You can't have a manager who is, is all-powerful at, at clubs of this size these days. And, and and the fact he's worked so well in the past under that model, not just at mm-hmm. Liverpool, but at, at Borussia Dortmund as well, and, and at Mainz, in fact, um, just makes you... It makes you more hopeful actually that, that it, this isn't a case of that and hopefully that he will be willing to going forward perhaps under new owners work under a sporting director model or you know however it, whatever the title they end up giving to that person or, or those several people who do that job because I think it, it, you've got to have that in the modern era and I think Jurgen Klopp has shown that he's really good at working in that in that way in a collaborative way Um and, and, and you like to think he's not you know kicking up a fuss and that's the reason all these people are departing so yeah i'm slightly more optimistic about that i suppose at the moment than i was in, in the last podcast the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo
1: I think in terms of the, the sale as well, Jurgen Klopp is, is really interesting. You want, if you're FSG, in in terms of getting the most money for Liverpool, you need the, the best version of Jurgen Klopp at the helm. He is very much a, a big, big asset. And one of the, the things that's kind of been discussed, Sean, over the, the weekend is, obviously you mentioned Manchester United. Before, they don't have a manager of, of that level. They don't have Anfield and the AXA training centre and all the rest of it. Gary Neville was among those to, to sort of compare the two assets. Which one will be more appealing? feeling how much of an impact is it going to make between the, the two of them I mean it is going to be really interesting isn't it with with both of these clubs for sale at the same time it's it is going to have an impact whoever goes first is probably going to set the benchmark for whoever, whoever is is then second
2: yeah I think so I mean you know Chelsea's the one that sells seemingly it's got the ball rolling hasn't it and, and made other owners think well hang on is is this the time to sell up and you know maximize? The profit that i can get and get the biggest return possible but yeah it's just it's remarkable now that, that liverpool and united are for sale but i think you've you've hit the nail on the head in terms of the reasons as to why liverpool could potentially be determined as the as the better asset that's certainly how i view it with with the obvious caveat of, <laughs> of a little bit of bias but i, I just think the the infrastructure in the stadium itself is is massive in that isn't it you know you, you not only have you got the access, but you've got i was going to say a completed stadium project and i mean obviously Anfield road end is is well on the way to that, but you know, the potentially further down the line, who knows, there could be scope for more work on the cop. There's there's certainly FSG officials. I can't remember now who it was, but Dave Powell, our business of football reporter was, has been doing some work from, from New York recently. And and there was, there was talk around what else they can do kind of within the imprint of the stadium. You know, we're not talking immediately expanding another stand, but you know, that they're already looking at how they can improve the offer of Anfield and, and what it is, and how what people can do around the ground. You compare that to Old Trafford, where you know you've got people on ladders painting it, and and that's about it. That's kind of seemingly all that's going on there, and and it, and it needs real work. And obviously, right now the way the table looks, Liverpool are, 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 are a bit of a, a bit of a low ebb, and you know United have got their act together to a certain extent off the pitch. But you know, revenue-wise as well, Liverpool are right up there with United now, aren't they? So I, I think there's there's a lot that points to Liverpool being if not the better asset certainly one that that would match them yeah
1: it's certainly going to be interesting isn't it Lynchy? in terms of of the the ways in which you can look at this and we did touch on on this on on friday's podcast but there's the sort of different ways and and different angles that you can come at this if you're a potential investor you can can almost argue either way with these two clubs
0: yeah, I think I think what's interesting is it, how big the cost, of that infrastructure side of things, though. You, you know, the impact that would have because there's talk. I've read a report. I think it was from James Ducker and Telegraph this week about um, the, the cost of redeveloping Old Trafford and because of the difficulties around doing it and the the, the the way it's laid out, that almost a new stadium is a is a better option. And you think how much Tottenham spent on their mm-hmm. new stadium, how much that mm-hmm. would cost Manchester United to build a stadium of, of, of even just to to have it the same size, just to have a seventy six thousand uh, seater stadium again the cost of building that to have what you already have in terms of match day revenue so then to you know okay maybe they would expand it but it's it's a huge outlay for an extra you know say they go to 80,000 4000 seats for example it's it, the outlay is insane which is the exact same reason in fact why fenway sports group preferred to stay at fenway with with the boston red sox the same reason at anfield because the the outlay then you were actually getting you know you were getting bang for your buck almost for doing that so you know if you're going at united it's a there's a possibly hugely costly stadium build on, on your hands there, added onto the cost that you know you would expect United will cost a little bit more with their their Tigers, possibly the biggest football club in the world, maybe in England. Um and then and then you look at the sheer numbers of it and Liverpool's revenue. I mean, they could really do with not dropping out of the Champions League this year, but if they get back in the Champions League this year, if, if, you know, in recent years, Liverpool have got themselves in a situation where their revenue is is matching Manchester United. Um, and that gap looked it looked like impossible to close even 10 years ago. And so on paper, the fact that you've got Liverpool there into that, that revenues coming in can be, can be grown again. There's, there's, there's more scope to do that. You don't have to do the stadium build, you know, that infrastructure is already there. They've got world-class training facilities. I know United have been at Carrington for a long time. That could probably do with a refresh and a a bit of a change. And so, you know, on paper that it it should look really more like a, you know, a, a more, a better investment really to go for Liverpool I think the difference will come in if there are some investors whose it's heart ruling heads so you know you think of Jim Ratcliffe being linked and and being a Manchester lad and and being a Manchester United fan so maybe that will you know tip the balance in their favour in in terms of with certain investors but I think Liverpool on paper looks like a you know far better investment not least because it will possibly be cheaper and also so that always then just as a starting point gives you more scope for, for growth in the future so Yeah, I think on paper, Liverpool looks a looks a better a better bet for for a lot of investors. To be honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the stadium that, that Tottenham created is a billion-pound stadium, isn't it? it that, that's the sort of numbers that we're talking about. Even if you know there was say a, a billion-pound difference in valuation between Liverpool and Manchester United, well, immediately that goes on on that sort of thing, doesn't it? It's, it, it is that sort of substantial in, in terms of, of those sorts of, of things. But let's move on to, to some of the, the smaller elements of this that still need to, to be sorted out for Liverpool. Obviously the FSG sale is the number one thing. We could speculate on what might happen and when that might happen for, I'm uh, not a lot lot longer than what we have done. But let's move on to, to kind of a bit more transfery stuff. Obviously, that the sporting director is moving on, Ian Graham moving on as well, Sean. I mean, it's it's a time of, of change in that department as well. You'd like to think not too much change given the success that they've had up to this point, but at the very least, it's going to be two changes in personnel and two key personnel as well. <sighs>
2: Yeah, big time. But I think I think like we were saying before, and I think as as Lynch, you mentioned that I, I would like to think that, that ultimately things won't change too much there. You know, it, uh, right now it's only one transfer window, isn't it? That that things have to be, you know, maybe slightly different. But even then, behind the scenes, you know, most of the most of the people are still there, and you would la- most of the plans would still be in place. You know, for for what's going to happen in January, and and as I was saying at the at the start of the pod, I think. It would be remiss of FSG not to push ahead with something in the short term to try and get Liverpool as far up the table and as deep in every single competition as possible. With with the key one being the Champions League, as we said, for that, not only just the prestige of being in it uh, next season, but for the for the balance sheet and for revenues. But yeah, re- recruitment in general, I, I just think as much as things might have swung one way slightly towards, you know, a, a few decisions that maybe. I feel like they've been 50-50 and then Klopp's had the, the deciding vote, shall we say, and and things have gone a little bit in his favour rather than what some of the people behind the scenes may have been telling him. I I, I would be convinced, as, as Lynch was saying before, that things will go back the other way. You know, Klopp will, if, if he's going to be put upon over the next few months, I would imagine, behind the scenes, just in terms of how much there is to be done. There's a bit of a power vacuum. And when you get that type of situation, you know, that the, the the person with the biggest clout and the loudest voice often just fills it, don't they? And clearly at Liverpool, the, the man you go to when you want a decision to be made is, is Jurgen Klopp. But I, I think, I don't think really Liverpool have any other option but to reinvest in the, in the data-driven approach. You know, it, it is, it is a concern, I suppose that the that, that Ian Graham's off, but I, I wouldn't necessarily see that as a, as a complete turn away from what has, what has done so well over the past decade, you know, and, and like, the fact that Klopp is sticking around and he signed that contract, I think he obviously, you know, that, that would all have been done before the idea or the, the the firm idea of FSG potentially leaving was on the table, I would imagine. But you know, he, he's buying into the general structure and the general idea of what made what made Liverpool successful. And I just think it would be it would be unwise to change too much of that. And and that's just the way football's going, isn't it? You know, you look at what United have done off the pitch or certainly the steps they're trying to make. And a lot of it is is catching up with Liverpool and the way Liverpool operate, you know, and the way they they use those kind of statistical insights to inform recruitment and and, and everything else. So yeah, I, I just think it's it's what it's about in the short term is cohesion and consistency. Everyone at Liverpool pulling in the same direction, back to basics in, in in kind of many ways, certainly tactically, and try and get what Liverpool need in this next window, which I think we'd all agree would be some some fresh blood in midfield, and if there's if there's a a little bit they can do in attack as well. I, I certainly wouldn't say no to that. I felt Liverpool are missing kind of a almost an Aregui or Shakiri type different option uh, in certain games so far this season. But you know maybe that's asking for a bit much. And then, as we said before, you would you would hope by the end of the season things are resolved a little bit in in the wider sense. The bigger questions are answered, and then you can start filling in the, in the dots with the small ones. But. Yeah, it, Liverpool changing course too much would, would shock me, really, in terms of the recruitment and the data side of things. I think we we'll, we will see that rebalance in the coming months.
1: Yeah, the analytics, I'm sure, isn't going to go anywhere for them moving forwards. I mean, it is interesting, isn't it, that the Jurgen Klopp thing has, has come up a couple of times. It came up on the podcast on Friday, come up a couple of times already today in terms of, of the influence that he has, Lynch. I mean, I, I wonder, is is that sort of element of it overplayed? Do you think in, in some sort of readings of this? I mean, he's presumably always had the final say on these transfers. It's not as if he's suddenly got a say in, in the transfer dealings, it, it doesn't maybe feel like quite as much of a shift as maybe what some people have interpreted to be to, to me.
0: Yeah, but I th- I think the thing you worry about is that yes, it's it's always been a collaborative process and and everyone's been involved and, and Jurgen Klopp's had the final say because he's had to work with the player, but you wonder whether the influence of the analytics guys has just slightly waned, you know, and, and you know, would would Jurgen Klopp with the power he has got at Liverpool now um, you know everything he's done for the club in terms of bringing bringing trophies home and, and how loved he is by fans and um, you know would he be as easily convinced to sign Mo Salah now? I, I, you know I I don't know and um, you know and it's difficult for us to speculate on that from the outside. We we can't you know you hear whispers and from sources and, and, and things, but it's it's hard to know exactly how that process works and and how things are shifting in in that regard. And to be honest, I also think there's sort of evidence that we can see from the outside in terms of that the. the there is, you know, some slight disagreement in terms of how transfers are built. I think it was, you know, it was such a smooth process in the past when they were building Jurgen Klopp's first great team. I've, I've spoken about this before. You know, it was okay. We need goal scoring wingers. We need. We're, we're going to use Firmino in this way. This, this is the team we're going to build, and it's going to look like this. We know exactly the profile of player we're looking for. And things have slightly changed for me in recent years, and, and I use Jota as a really good example of this, um, because. You know, when he came in, he was the really obvious Sadio Mane replacement. Then all of a sudden you bring Luis Diaz in and then suddenly, OK, well, Jota maybe he's the Firmino replacement then. And, and that's the, That's what this front three looks like in the future. And then you sign Darwin Nunez and it's almost like, OK, now Jota is the, the backup for, for all three across the front line. And, you know, whereas in the past, Liverpool had signed someone to be, this is definitely your role in the squad. This is 100% what you're going to offer. Or, you know you will be his successor or you will be his successor or you know it's really obvious what what people were being brought in for and I think Josh is a really good example of someone who it wasn't quite as clear what he was going to be or, and, it, and it's still maybe not as clear what what he is going to be in the future and therefore that suggests to me some sort of discord some sort of disagreement between possibly management and the analytics guys in terms of what team they're building what what Liverpool's second great team under Jurgen Klopp looks like and and also how do these sort of reconcile it with having a, a bigger squad than they, than they maybe had in that first run under club as well all these questions being answered and, and, and some people have some views within the club and, and some people have other views and, and that's natural but I, I don't think the shakeout of that has looked as there hasn't been as much clarity as there maybe was in the past and maybe that's where that that disagreement is happening but like i say you know we we're speculating on this or i'm i'm speculating on this i don't want to drag you guys into it but you know it, it just suggests to me that it's not it's not perfect how that process is working at the moment, and there's maybe you know maybe some little kinks to be ironed out. and Maybe that's you know, like it's probably not going to happen until new owners come in in terms of that whole shake up and 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 resolving that. But it, but I do think there have been signs of that being there in the past, in, in you know in the past couple of years because the the new challenge from going to okay, can you get us in the top four, and then can you get us to t- challenging for titles is different to can you keep us there, um, and and I just don't think. Whether that's a, a disagreement between the analytics and the, the coaching staff, it's just not looked quite perfect for me in recent years. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
2: Just to dive back in on that as well, I'd, I'd argue that like there there is a bit of time to to get this right again behind the scenes, and like you know, like we've said, there's no way a sport director's going to walk through the door tomorrow. Or well, if, if there is, great, you know, we, we've got plenty to uh, talk about and write about, but everything points to that not being the case and in a way I, I don't think it's the worst time for this to happen okay off the on the pitch they will pull on at their best you know we can all see that but when you look at the realistic targets that seems to have emerged you know obviously there was the the pursuit of Chirmeni over the summer you all know what happened there and he ended up at Madrid clearly Bellingham is, is 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 a top target isn't he and I think I'm not saying that the data and analytics kind of aren't important at all at the moment but we've said this for for quite a few years now as well you know certainly since liverpool reached the top of europe and the the premier league but the pool of players that improve liverpool's first team not necessarily the squad but certainly the first team is is very small and you know it's just all about having the ability to go and get them and convince them that liverpool's the best project for them and it's not city it's not madrid it's not you know psg wherever so i think the focus is almost slightly narrowed in that respect and you know, to go out and get Bellingham, and you, you obviously every Liverpool fan hopes that that will be the case next summer and or sooner if if that were were possible, and that the Reds could convince him to come here rather than elsewhere. But you know, I, I don't think there's much more that that would need to be done behind the scenes to get to get that to happen. Okay, you want him to be attracted by a prospect that that. A project rather that, that, that has prospects and looks cohesive and, and uh, like it's you know future proof and everything's going to be okay but you, you, you really look at it you're leaning on Klopp there aren't you to, to be the one who who gets things done and, and is the is the voice and the person who convinces him I, w- I would imagine so i don't worry about things too much in that respect you know that do liverpool need to unearth a couple of bargains right now possibly not i mean working towards next summer definitely and the other thing i mentioned here is just the, the tactical side of things i do think liverpool We've seen, haven't we, th- this whole experimentation with what happens on the right-hand side, Salah pushing wide, you know, Trent occupying central areas, different questions being asked of of Henderson and Elliott. And I think over the course of the next few months, and we saw little signs of this in the last few weeks of the season before the World Cup, if Liverpool go back to basics there and, and make changes within the traditional structure of the 4-3-3, rather than trying new formations or, or, or trying out much more significant variations of, of that, Trademark formation of Klopp. I think not only will results pick up and improve, but I think you'll be working towards something a little bit more simple in, in terms of the of the, of the recruitment and, and what what you'll need to make that system you know function even better. So, yeah, i I, I don't think I don't think these are necessarily short term problems. You know, Liverpool have got the time to get
0: things right in this regard. It's also worth mentioning as well that you know Julian Ward and Ian Graham will still be in position in January. Uh, you know, and the build-up to January till the end of the season, and um, you know if things were broken irrevocably. I don't think either man would still be in the job. You know, I don't think that there's there's that huge a disagreement, or you know, there's there's been a huge falling out or anything like that. Even if there is some slight disagreement there, and I think you know between those two and and Jurgen Klopp, I think all three would have a good idea of what a good midfield signing would look like for for Liverpool in the January window. So you'd like to think that you know. I think the biggest question there really is whether FSG will sort of slightly. Loosen the purse strings and allow that that money to be spent, but you you would like to think so because especially when they stand to make such a ridiculous profit on a club when it gets sold. Hopefully not too in in the distant future.
1: Yeah, it is. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost a, a different job now, like you've both said in terms of the uh, the recruitment and the the way that they use analytics. It's not building that squad anymore it's a very finite number of of players it doesn't particularly take analytics for example to determine that Jude Bellingham would probably be quite a good signing for Liverpool but it does probably take the analytics to work out exactly how much they should pay for him whether he is absolutely the only one or whether there's possibly one or two more and and things like that it it is really really interesting and it's going to be interesting as well in terms of the new sporting director whenever that is decided whether it's internal or external they're going to have to fit to the way that liverpool do things they're going to have a bit of a, a say and you know they, they've only ever had two sporting directors in the past haven't they it, it's, it's only ever been michael edwards and, and then julian ward they didn't have someone in that specific job role in the past it it would be really interesting if they went for someone external because quite how they'd fit into what liverpool already do would be interesting it, it's going to be interesting to, to sort of see how those bits of, of that jigsaw sort of come together
0: yeah, and it, it sort of makes you think that they're not going to go for one of those big-name sporting directors. So, you know, the, the guy who gets touted for every job that comes up like this is sort of Monchi, isn't it? Um, or, or maybe Luis Campos, who's at PSG at the moment. A couple of good examples of that. And I don't think Liverpool will be looking for that big name uh, to, to do this job. It's because, as you say, I think I think the whole thing they've prided themselves on in, in the past in terms of how this works with recruitment at Liverpool is that, you know, it's a well-oiled machine and, and, and people doing the jobs really well together, And that's how it works. And everyone has a sort of equal say. And then at the end, you know, maybe Jurgen Klopp does pull the trigger in the end. But, you know, that there's a lot of good people working together and it's not just one man coming up with the ideas to sign people. So, yeah, you know, that that does lend itself to an internal appointment, whether there's someone who has the skill set, who's there, who's ready to do it, is an interesting one. You know, but if it's an external appointment, like I said, I don't expect it to be this big name, this big character who's coming in and, and, and taking over Liverpool's sporting operation because what is there is the bones of a very, very good recruitment team. And we've seen that over the past few years in terms of the, the business that Liverpool have done. They're very, very good at doing that job. So it, you know, it's a role for someone maybe to just, as you say, sort of sl- you know, slide in really to be a part of the team rather than coming in and, and dominating and completely ripping things up and starting again.
1: Yeah, it's obviously something Jurgen Klopp is is used to to dealing with, Sean. Presumably, you know, we we have to assume that Liverpool are going to go and and get a new sporting director in in some form and it's not going to completely change the way that they set up behind the scenes. But it is interesting that the difference between Liverpool and and some of the other clubs, we, we never ever heard Michael Edwards do interviews, for example, but even at Borussia Dortmund, someone like Michael Zork that Jurgen Klopp worked with in the past, he's quite regularly in the media and quite often you know come out and, and say these things with with Liverpool it's it's a very different sporting director job compared to, to what it is at a lot of the European rivals
2: yeah I think that was that was the whole culture behind the scenes wasn't it and, and when you've got a spokesperson for the club like Klopp or even as well I'd, I'd include Linda's in that as well now we've seen him do you know multiple press conferences in the cups y- you don't really need someone to be coming out and 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 kind of explaining things to, to the extent you see you do see with other sporting directors And yeah personally I, I really like that model and and that idea of of someone behind the scenes it almost helps build up a bit of a kind of mystique around the individual as well doesn't it and you know what what they're going and doing behind the scenes I'll I'll just say one um this was very tongue in cheek, and I feel a bit a bit sly on Theo that I'm, I'm stealing this thunder. Here. I'm sure he would have mentioned this on a on a podcast to come, but we were talking about this yesterday, and just you know where Liverpool go and throwing a few names around. There was obviously the guy who is at um, Salzburg. Is it is it uh, Christoph Freund? You know, again, he's another one you you always hear his name. But Theo said, "What about Ralph Ranick? After uh, you know where where he's been recently, and obviously a yeah, good relationship with Klopp and. Not entirely sold, but, you know, be, be interesting to see if Theo can make the case for that, which I'm sure he will do on a, on a podcast to called...
1: come. Yeah, I mean, that, that would kind of make a little bit of sense, I suppose. It, it, it would be someone who would have to, to slide into to that sort of system. And, you know, it, it, it's pointless us sort of, picking out certain names and, and sort of going through Christoph Freud, for example. I'm not entirely sure, you know, whether he would suit Liverpool or not. I don't know a, a great deal about him, but it would have to be someone that could... Work perfectly in tandem with Jurgen Klopp, and I suppose a name like that wouldn't, wouldn't you know, be completely against the grain.
0: Well, he's a better sporting director than he is a manager, I think. So that'd, <laughs> that'd be a good start. Um, yeah, and I suppose it would. You know, Manchester United fans would probably find that a little bit of an odd one. But um, yeah, but I, I, again, with Rangnick, I think you know, similar really in terms of he's a, he's a name sporting director, isn't he? And I think a lot of his projects in the past have been sort of where he's allowed to come in. And completely rebuild the recruitment team in his own image and, and and usually with clubs that are trying to make a leap up and have got a lot of money behind them whereas liverpool's sort of a slightly slightly different case so it'd be you know I, that's why i don't think they will go down that route i just think it, i think an internal appointment would be ideal but it's whether there are enough personnel left there who could probably fill that role really or ready to make that step up and or you know, you think of some of the guys who've been around the recruitment for such a long time. Maybe it wouldn't suit them to be sporting director as well. So it, it, it's really mm-hmm. interesting to see what happens. But like like I said, I, I just I'm not convinced that that decision will be made under FSG. To be honest, I think they will be gone by the time it does, and therefore gives Liverpool a lot of time to have a think about what that's going to look like. And and you know, maybe Jurgen Klopp will have a lot of ideas about who should come in by the time that that new ownership gets there. Yeah, it's
1: a little bit similar, I think, to what we were saying about the analytics in that it's a very different job. It would be a very different job for someone like Rannick or Christoph Freund at Salzburg compared to to doing that at Liverpool. It's, it's maybe not quite comparable in terms of the types of players that they buy and the way that they do things like that. But certainly some interesting times ahead for Liverpool. I'm sure we'll talk through all of the names on this podcast and across the Liverpool Echo website and liverpool.com as well as they come in. But I think that will just about do us for today's podcast. Thank you very very much for listening. We'll catch you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.